Hi, I'm Reverend Carol Saunders, host of The Spiritual Forum. I'm here with a lot of interesting people who are consciously walking the spiritual path, experiencing and expressing the divine in unique ways and through unique lenses. Everyone here has wisdom to share and an interesting story to tell, all to inspire you on your spiritual path. Welcome to The Forum. Welcome to The Spiritual Forum, everyone. I'm so glad you're here. I have a fabulous guest today. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I just want to make a couple announcements. One is, if you're listening to this podcast on SoundCloud, I'm going to ask you to start migrating over to Apple and Spotify because in the coming months, not right away, but I'm planning to move my podcast off of SoundCloud. And I'm afraid I'm going to lose a lot of listeners that way. But if you can start listening to me on Spotify or Apple, I'd sure appreciate it. And I'm just grateful for everyone who tunes in because this is a podcast of hope and inspiration and awakening. And that's what the spiritual path is all about. So thanks everyone for joining. I want to be, I want to send a shout out to my donors and also remind you of the Whole Planet Spirituality Forum and Retreat that is coming up in October at Unity Village. And you can find out all about that at the spiritualforum.org slash retreat. I know you've heard about me saying that the last several weeks, but it's a big deal. It's going to be so great. Just as background, I'm a Unity Minister and Charles and Myrtle Fillmore, back in the early 20th century, taught all about how our alignment with animals impacts our ability to manifest world peace and universal love and ethical living and spiritual development. And so we're going to be kind of grounded in those teachings and and find ways that we can be at peace with ourselves and peace with the entire planet, which includes all beings. Now, let me introduce my guest, internationally known for works focused on animals, the environment, and disempowered human beings. Professor Emeritus Dr. Lisa Kimmerer founded and directs the Educational Information Sharing Nonprofit Tapestry. As a former associate professor of philosophy and religion at Montana State University and educated at Reed, Harvard, and Glasgow universities, Kimmerer is the author of more than a dozen books, including Animals and World Religions, Vegan Ethics, Amore, Eating Earth, Environmental Ethics and Dietary Choice, and Sister Species, Women, Animals, and Social Justice. So she was a guest on the Spiritual Forum podcast, I think three years ago. I think that's it's a long a time ago. Yeah. yeah. So you may want to refer back to that engaging conversation. We had a really good conversation. It was episode 147. It was called Animals and World Religion. Today, we're going to be focusing on one of Lisa's newer books called Animals and Christianity. So welcome, Lisa. It's great to have you back. Thank you. It's wonderful to be back. And by the way, I have heard your spiritual forum is amazing. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And I'm so excited about uh, the retreat that you were a speaker at the first year. And you and I were recently together at the Parliament of World Religions, and we were there kind of presenting and trying to move the needle of religions to try to include all beings in all of our, all the things that we say about peace and harmony and, and ethics and social justice and all of that, just trying to widen that circle of compassion to include animals. And there was a large contingent of, of us there kind of trying our best through our presentations and our tabling to, to, to open people's hearts and minds to that. 
So that recently we were together, when was that August? I think mid-August? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It was wonderful to actually have time with you. To actually go in for a walk together and we got a chance to talk and it was wonderful. Yeah, it, it was. We're really much on the same page in a lot of things. So, yes. uh, and I think if anybody who listens to our prior episode, 147, I think they'll see that as well. We have really good back and forth and exchange of ideas. I want to make sure that during this podcast, that we give people a good summary of animals and Christianity so that they could walk away from this podcast and maybe share it with their Christian friends and family and say, here, you know, so I'd kind of like to spend most of our time on that. Does that sound good? Yes. Wonderful. Yeah, Yeah. Good. So I do know that based on the introduction that I just gave that a lot of your work is in social justice and, and animals. And, and before we kind of get into your book, I think it'd be good to, to kind of lay the foundation. Why does it matter? Why do animals matter with, with social justice? Why do animals matter when it comes to everything that we're trying to do? Why does it matter for compassion, for love, for world peace, all of that? So maybe you could give a little synopsis of that before we kind of dig into the Christianity piece. As a philosopher, that has been one of my focuses, is making sure I understand what the connections are so that I can teach that and talk that so that people will understand it. So often we focus on just one cause, but the causes are connected. So if we have this idea of dominance, of exploitation, then we have that idea. And if that is foundational to how we look at the world and how we view what we call the other, if we view it as the other, then we're going to have exploitation. And if you look at, for example, Eastern philosophy or indigenous ways of viewing the world, you don't have that those dichotomies. You don't have that I and thou, if you will, to use a religious term. But in this case, bringing it down to earth, you don't have that sense that there's me and there's you and you're different. You're, an, you're a woman. You're an animal. Animal being anything other than a human being when when a human, it's a term that I use, especially when writing, so that I don't have to always say non-human animal. So anyway, if you have this idea of othering or of, of putting something separate from yourself, then that's that's a worldview. And it affects how you treat not just animals, but also people of color and women and people who have different abilities and different sexualities. So this this view of oppression. And what it brings, we have to root that out if we're going to have a society that is peaceful and compassionate. Yeah, I completely agree. I I know a lot of people who think they can separate out human freedom from animal freedom. Like, I want to be free, but I want to have my animals in a cage. (laughs) And it's, it's so interesting that it's such a huge blind spot. But a lot of people do use religion, as we've talked about before, and what you talk about in your books, a lot of people do use religion as their reason, as their as their excuse. They're pointing to the Bible and saying, because the Bible says this, whether they've read it or not, it, that, it, that that's okay, as if you know, God created this beautiful world that, with all of these beings, with all their individual purposes, and said, you will all be free but you know you can enslave <laughs> some of you can enslave others because I mean we all know that human slavery is not good so you know it's it's all connected like you say I really do want to dig into Christian 
Christianity because that's such a big thing. So you start off by talking about Christian ethics. Why don't we talk about that? What are the Christian ethics that we can all kind of agree on? Love. Right? I used to ask my students this in the classroom. What is the core of Christianity? And I think that if people sat in a group and discussed it, most would come to the idea that the core ethic is that of love. So if that's your core ethic, and then you understand what's going on in animal industries, if you, if you see what your choices are causing, and you recognize love as the core requirement, if you will, core ethic of Christianity, it's incompatible to continue what you're doing. And this is the importance of writing a book like this, and it's why it's written. This book is written to empower Christians to talk to one another, or if you will, people who aren't Christians, but have friends who are Christians, vegans who have friends who are Christians, who are causing all this suffering because they've never really thought about it, or they don't really know. And then they can talk to them in a way. And you know, I will say that bringing change among those who are religious is so much more likely. It's such, if you have an ethic that you're committed to that's written and everyone can read it, and the ethic is love, and someone approaches you with suffering and pain that you're causing and choices you're making, how likely is it that you're going to say, well, I really don't care? Not very likely. But if you are not in a religious tradition, that might be a response that you get. And it's why I think that working with inside religions is extremely important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I do agree, and and I think that it is it is so interesting that people use their religion as justification for continuing what really is just cultural conditioning. We talked about this before too. It's just really cultural conditioning. This this animal using world that we live in. We 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 grow into it. We no no yes. babies come into the world and creating that kind of world. I think some other ethics that you mentioned are mercy and humility yes. and peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like, all right, that's all in alignment with taking care of the voiceless, the innocent, saying, I am not bigger and better than you. I am I am humble peace. I mean, how do you have peace when you're warring against anyone? And, and, you know, so it's completely in alignment with the values, but there's still this kind of huge disconnect because people point to things which you expose very well in your book, things like, you know, but Jesus ate fish or, but Noah was allowed to, you know, eat meat, but, you know, this, but, 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 and, and I think it'd be kind of fun to go through some of those those butts. And and maybe we should start with the beginning, in the beginning. In the beginning, (laughs) God created a vegan world. And that is so foundational to Judaism and Christianity and so important. And and when you you talk to Christians about this, they'll jump right to Genesis 9 and say, oh, but God (laughs) allows us to eat animals. Right. And so this is why you need to understand scriptures. You need to understand why that's not a legitimate answer. So getting to Genesis 9, there's a whole lot of violence and ugliness. And God despairs. You know, what have I done? What have I created here? This is not what I expected. These people, these, these, these beings are violent. And, but a God of love, God sees the flaws, sees the, that human beings are not 
perhaps quite what was wanted, but but there we are with our free will doing what we do. And so God says, fine, now I give you everything as I gave you the green plants and seeds. So is that really an excuse to, to do that behavior? It's clearly not what God intended. God created a peaceful vegan world. You have all sorts of texts in scriptures that show that we are to head back to that and that we are to help in that process. And you have Genesis 9 not saying, and now I'm so happy that I finally have created all these sentient beings in my compassionate heart and I, I give them to you to exploit and kill and and cause great misery in their lives and not let them be the beings that I created them to be, right? That is not, it just makes no sense to go there. When you look at what God created, when you look at the type of God that we have and what we are required to do, and Genesis 2 is clear on that, we are to serve God, that is our primary task, and we do that by protecting and tending creation. So that's our task. That's our God-given task. If you look at what the word till comes from, you know, we are to till the earth. It doesn't mean go out there and dig the soil. If you look at translations of the same word in other places, we are to tend, we're to protect, we're to take care of, and we are to do it in the image of God. We are to do it as God would do because we are servants of God. So just understanding that much can completely transform how we envision ourselves as walking on this planet with God's creatures. Yeah, I think that the the early Genesis 1 and 2 is so interesting because the world that is described there is is a world of, you know, union and connection and everybody's eating plants there. You know, that's the other thing that's kind of interesting. There aren't, you know, these carnivores that are consuming each other. And it, it does kind of make me wonder, I mean, it may be all allegorical, but it does kind of make me wonder if human consciousness doesn't impact the whole world so that as, as we became more warring and as we became more violent, that that impacted, you know, the other creatures and, and, and then they, they became more carnivorous. But in the beginning, in, in Genesis, it, it says it's not, that is not, that is not how it was. And so, and this is a story we've been telling over and over and over again. And it's very, very clear that humankind was given seed bearing fruits and greens to eat. And so were the animals and everybody was in harmony and everyone was at peace. And so then we're kind of like, okay, we're, we're kind of, we're kind of bored with this. <laughs> I want to come back to the the serpent and the snake in a minute because I want to come back to the way animals show up in the Bible. But I kind of like to go through this going now to Genesis nine because when you really look at it, 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 it was kind of God acquiescing, but I think there was also an exasperation to it. Kind of oh, like, absolutely. Oh, you know, oh, you humans, okay, if you must, then. And then, and then, and then you're also going to experience the consequences of that. If you're going to be, you know, eating animals, there's going to be consequences. And, and that's going to be, you know, following you the rest of your days. So, you know, it's, it's kind of a funny thing. <laughs> it's kind of like, I don't know, I'm thinking about a child and a parent. And, you know, the day that mommy or daddy was okay when I was a really, really bad boy or girl. But that doesn't mean that. I should go be a bad boy or girl the rest of my life. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The word integrity comes to mind and sincerity. Are we sincere in our faith? 
Because if we are sincere in our faith, we cannot point to God's exasperation with humans and granting something that was not part of what God's ideal was or what God's hope was for us on this planet and say, look, it justifies me going right on doing what I'm doing. And now what we're doing is so much worse than any meat eating was then because of the suffering that we're causing, not to mention dairy and eggs as well. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get into how it's not even comparable. I want to hang a little bit with the the Bible stories for a moment, because I think the next thing that kind of happens that's big is is an exodus. And, you know, so, you know, Moses is out there in the the wilderness with, with the people trying to kind of corral them and <laughs> what a job. And and then they're hungry. And, and where does the food come and what is the food? It's vegan. It's mine. And this was like <laughs> another affirmation in scriptures that this is what God is feeding us. And what do the people do? They complain. They want their flesh. So, and, and the way the way that's written up, it just shows the displeasure of the divine that people just can't seem to be happy with the vegan foods, which are, we know now, healthier and they're healthier for the planet. They're healthier for human beings. And this is, again, let me connect this back to the, if you care about people, you have to change what you eat and you have to care about animals. So the employees in these slaughterhouses and the way they're treated, if you choose to eat products that come from that kind of human oppression, knowingly, it is an unchristian act. It is, it is unkind and cruel to buy a product that you know will commit someone to taking a job that pretty much no one would want. And because no one wants it, who ends up with it? People who generally can't even speak English and are completely disempowered. And they are treated terribly in these facilities, these factory farms. So Gail Eisnitz was, I think, the first one to write a really good book that where she went in and actually saw what was going in the book called Slaughterhouse. And it's just shocking. It's just shocking. And her intent was to write about uh, the animals in these facilities. But the whole last chapter, she shifted to focusing on the employees because it was so appalling. So again, that connection between the human and caring, caring more broadly. Love is not limited in Christianity. It's not a zero-sum game. If we spend it on our cat, it doesn't mean we are going to have it for our neighbor. Our neighbor is, the cat is our neighbor, by the way. Clearly someone living close to us, a being with a personality, a person, if you will. I will. Someone with a personality is a person. So, of course, they all matter. And, of course, that our, our, the wider we cast our love, the closer we are to God's expectation and hope for us. Yeah, I think the plight of the slaughterhouse workers is often overlooked, even by, you know, animal advocates. The, it, it's it's there are studies about the PTSD, how they, you know, the, just the idea that my job is to take the life from a being that is not sacrificing his life. He's not saying, here, take me. They're all fighting for their lives if, if, if they can. And so to, to pull the life force, slitting the throat or the bolt in the head, and, and there's crazy stories about what happens on the slaughterhouse floor. And so my job is to, to take a living being and and part of what I do is I'm a part of the process that makes it into the little packets that end up in your grocery store. It's an ugly, ugly process, so much violence. 
And, and what do you do with that? I mean, the soul must break at that. I mean, from a spiritual standpoint, we're asking people's souls to disconnect from their bodies so that they can do this horrific work moment after moment after moment after moment. And many of them go home, you know, they're, they're going to kick the proverbial dog. They have, they have abuse in the homes. I mean, how, how do you not end up with some kind of self-loathing unless you're a psychopath doing that kind of work day in and day out? And that's, you make a really good point. We're inflicting that on other beings. It's, it's, how is that much different from slavery? They may be paid a little bit, but you know, <laughs> I think that your point that, that it is Christians are about our brotherhood and our sisterhood and, and, and being yes. kind to humans. And I think you make a really, really good point that this is so antithetical to that. My favorite scholar in this area is Amy Fitzgerald. She's out of Canada. And she has done so many studies. She did a wonderful study where they actually looked at the statistics of violence once a slaughterhouse came into a community and domestic violence went up. Mm -hmm. So just one really clear, I mean, it's a study. There's no messing around. It shows that when you, by your consumer choices, if you force someone to kill all day long, you are going so against the human grain that you are going to create communities of greater violence. So don't do it. Make other choices. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Let's let's talk a little bit about the. Uh, I'm just thinking about what what all what all the the Christian reasoning <laughs> is. The, the idea of animal sacrifice comes up a lot, and I know you 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 hit that in your book. This idea that you know animal sacrifice was something that God loved, and yeah. and so. So therefore, it's okay that I eat bacon. And, and I know those two things don't go together at all. <laughs> I get such a kick out of the arguments because they're all so bad. It, any, it doesn't take much to expose them as completely ridiculous. But that's what we do when we're desperate to main some, maintain something that is inconsistent with our teachings. We have to find an excuse. And there isn't one because it's Christianity and it's all about love and it's all about caretaking God's creation. It's about compassion and mercy and humility. And those things are, you can't, it, you can't go there. The two don't connect. You can't exploit and kill and do what you want for your pleasure and maintain that. So this idea of, of that sacrifice somehow justifies, somehow an ancient sacrifice justifies me choosing to eat fish at the table. How do you even get there? You have to be very desperate to justify what you're doing. I think what people say is God must not care about the animals if he liked the way they smelled burning on burning in the stove, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How many ways can can you say, really, do you think God has a nose and loves the smell of, of some of a burning dead body? Really? How much does it take to understand what God really wanted was for human beings to get down on their knees and thank God. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And God, you know, after dealing with humans and all their, you know, like, who are these people? God is so pleased if we show any indication of understanding that we're supposed to be servants of God, that we're just these little creatures running around on the earth, that this is the creator, this is the sustainer. And showing that supplication is what pleases God. It isn't that God has a nose and loves the burning flesh. Right? Really? Do I have to say that? But you do. 
And the answer is God is so pleased when human beings show an inclination to remember God and to be grateful. And of course, the other, the other really strong statement against that, I want to say ridiculous argument, but I shouldn't against that argument is that is if you look at the prophets, the latter prophets make it very clear. It is not about physical acts. That is not how we tell God that we know who we are in relation to God and we are grateful for our lives and we're grateful and supplicate and use our humility. That's not how we do it. We don't do it by taking something that's God's and killing it, killing them. Instead, what we need to do is show in our lives that we understand Christian ethics, that we understand, you know, plead for the widow, help the orphan. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And that is how we show that we understand who we are in relation to God and who God is. Yeah, I think the prophets were always trying to correct. <laughs> they were always trying to correct. They were always they were they were they were the ones that I mean, it, when people read the Bible, they that they like to read the prophets. I mean, the beautiful poetry. You know, who wants to read if you read Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy? It's like, oh my gosh, you know, those are kind of interesting stories, but they go on for a long time. But the prophets is like oh, this beautiful poetry and and speaking. I, th- I think they're always pointing us back to Eden. I think they're always pointing us back to the original intention: who are we and who is God. And to me, that's where where all of the really great messages are, is in the prophets. Yes, that's right. And and the prophets, they really show us how to be activists. They're out there doing what they can to try to bring change. They're somewhat desperate. And they show us that there's, when you're an activist, if you're, you need to stay within what you're taught and the ethics, but, but you need to really get out there and do what you're supposed to be doing, whether it's, you know, breaking even breaking the moral codes of the day. You know, the prophets were running around naked and, you know, pulling plows and doing these things to get people to wake up and notice what they were trying to say. And I think that is also a message for us. Those of us who see that our exploitation and our violence, when we see the level of it and we see the change that needs to happen, we need to take a message from the prophets that we need to step out of our shells and step out of our comfort zone and do what we can to bring change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And was it Isaiah? Oh, I should have done my research. Oh, the piece who, of the kingdom? Yeah, I'm just thinking the one that that said, you know, God does not want sacrifice. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Yes. And that's so beautiful. And it's actually in more than one book. It's in several. Yeah. yeah. But that's right. It is stated as clearly as it can be. Yes. That, it was... <laughs> that is not no what's nuance. wanted. No nuance. No questioning. And, and again... And again, we still hear it, even though it's stated so clearly, and it's the latter prophets. So again, they're showing a trend, a change from when we thought that God wanted us to kill our own son, right? The story of Abraham. Uh-huh. And God says, no, that, you know, that's really not what I want. And then people think, yeah, but look, God gave him a ram. No. Then Abraham sees a ram and decides to kill the ram. God didn't have anything to do with that decision to kill the ram. That's very clear in the writing. So, you know, there's all these there's all these clues. And then as you move forward and forward, you see moving away from killing anything to the idea that the way you what you need to sacrifice is your inclinations, your arrogance, your ten- tendency to be vain. These are the things we need to sacrifice in order to be good Christians. Yeah, that's really well said. I'd probably add uh, gluttony and greed and self-focus yeah. and yeah. <laughs> all those yeah. other yeah. things that say my 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 wish my desire my momentary palate pleasure 
is more important than the life of a lamb or a chicken or a cow or a pig mm -hmm. who would just as soon spend their days out in the sun with their family and friends, just like we would. There's kind of an arrogance to that. Or if you will, is more important than God's teachings, than my Christian ethics, than my Christian belief system, and what it is I ought to be doing here on this earth. Yeah, that's a good, good point. Always bring it back to that. It's more important than, than what you believe, more important than what God's teachings have are for you. Yeah. How Very about it's point. more important than eternal salvation? I'm going to sacrifice my ethics and my core beliefs and my focus on God. You know, if you don't care about the chicken, it's it's sad. You don't get God and God's creatures. But if you're if you just want to view your own life as a Christian, you've got to focus on those primary teachings in your relationship with God and that's going to change how you treat the chicken. Yeah, and in Genesis, God saw all of creation as good. You know, God didn't say, oh, I love man, but, you know, the chicken and the pig, I don't know, you know, it was, it was all good. And so if nothing else, you know, if you, if you're a Christian and you believe in this, this God that created you and all beings, then you would honor, I think, the other beings that are quite good to God. Let us not forget that we are created on the sixth day with other land animals. And it is fascinating to me that, again, there's two things I could ask my students. One is, what are we given to eat? And it would take them like five tries to actually see what they're reading. We would go to the text and they, they couldn't figure it out until after about five answers. And the same is true for what you're just talking about, that you can ask and ask again, see what's written there. And they just don't see it. Yeah, it's interesting how many people say, but God gave us the animals. I'm like, where? Yeah, you know, where? Sh show me, show me where. I mean, the yes. best they can do would be Genesis 9, but that's like we talked about before. That's an exasperation, you that's know. That's right. Yeah. And again, they don't realize that we are created with other land animals. That's what we are. We are a yeah. land animal. And we need to, what is it about us? It's that arrogance that we are not supposed to have. That Christian humility, trying to help humans to get a clue that we are not divine. We are part of creation. And what we are is land animals. And you can see it very clearly in Genesis. So let's fast forward to Jesus ate fish. <laughs> yes. Yes. Let's fast forward to all of the stuff in the, the New Testament, where I do hear that, well, if Jesus ate fish then I can too. Or if Jesus ate fish, then, you know, I can eat bacon in the morning, chicken in the afternoon and beef at night. <laughs> if Jesus ate fish, I can go to the circus and see world and participate in the domination of animals. <laughs> anyway, let's go right into Jesus. Okay. And, and let's first, let's just focus on the fish. So first, let's just recognize that 2000 years ago, Fish were foundational to some of the meals of some people, as they are still now for some indigenous communities, where they go out and they catch a fish and they bring that fish home and they share it with their neighbors and they make sure everybody has something to eat and they eat the fish. I am not talking when I speak as a, you know, I'm an, I'm an American. I'm from the United States. I'm a, I'm white. 
I've, I never have to worry about starving. I just don't. I can go to the supermarket and buy anything I want. So I try not to talk to or about people that have experience that is extremely different than mine. Now, that does not justify, for example, people will go right to the Arctic and say, well, they need to kill the whales and eat the fish. And I'm like, no, if you go up there, they actually have stores just like we do. They can also go and buy peanut butter and bread. So there's a fine line here. But my point is this, whatever was going on 2000 years ago in the stories that we read about in scriptures, what was not happening was the stripping of the seas, causing extinctions, mass suffering by pulling fish out and dropping them on the deck and letting them suffocate there. So to talk just about fish in scriptures, you have to first recognize that what we are doing now is so morally significantly different that it's you can't compare it. You can't say that because they went out with a boat and pulled the fish in and ate it for dinner, it's okay for us to go to a store and buy a fish that was mass netted or mass hooked and brought in and sold. And, and that act of fishing is causing extinctions because hooks are indiscriminate. They will catch anything that grabs it, whether it's a turtle or whether it's a very endangered fish. Same with nets. They'll catch anything that goes in them, whether it's a whale that needs to breathe and they see whales dragging these nets around, the ghost nets that break off and get lost. So there's this huge knowledge gap for people who simply talk about, well, look, there's fishing in the Bible. We can eat fish now. There's fishing in the Bible. It's nothing like the fishing now. It's nothing like the problems that are created by fishing now. And it's nothing like the suffering caused by fishing now. So right there is an end of the comparison. Whatever else you find in scriptures, it doesn't matter as far as eating fish today. It's morally, it is completely different. Yeah. And we have fish farms now today, which they did not have, where we're, we're, millions of fish are in very small quarters and they they're just their bodies are up against each other i mean it's hard enough to be in an elevator with 10 people going up 10 floors <laughs> can you imagine living in an elevator completely packed and you know really really struggling for your oxygen and that's that's how fish that are farmed end up living and they're all in their own waste and all of that it has nothing to do with what went on historically but let, let but let's talk about some of the stories because I think it's you go into that in your book and I think it's really important. So you know, one is the multiplication of bread and fish. I have my own thoughts on that one. Another is Jesus saying, "Cast your nets to the right," and all these fish were 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 caught. And I think the last one was the resurrection, the body eating eating fish, mm-hmm. the morsel. Yeah, the morsel. Yeah, the morsel. Yeah, and I, to just just to start off a little bit with the the first one with the multiplication of fish and and loaves the loaves and fishes i do know that when jesus referred to that time when he was talking to his disciples remember when i fed the 4000 he only referred to bread he did not refer to fish mm-hmm. he only referred to bread which kind of implies that the fish might have been an added part to that scripture 
you know, when, when they're actually talking about the feeding of the, to, of the 4,000 and the 5,000, because I actually think, and I know this isn't really your point so much, but I actually think that in the Bible, there is, there is kind of a struggle between the mediating writers and the non-mediating writers. It just seems like the mediating writers or scribes are kind of like putting that fish in there <laughs> just to make sure that we know that they ate fish. But that's, that's my thought. But I know you have another one about the feeding. Yeah. So the first thing I want to say in response to that is I want to go back to the fish. What Again, whatever happened, what we are doing now is not comparable. It is completely, it's a, ma- it's a matter of a, a completely different moral equation that we're dealing with. All right. So other things I might say to that. Each time, any time that Jesus is dealing with fishing, his goal is to turn people away from fishing. He wants them to become fishers of humanity. So if if he does allow them to pull in or help them even to kill a bunch of fish in those nets, the end result is they will never fish again. And that is the end goal. I think also, but again, I want to go back to that, the fishing, the suffering, and the the, the moral problems involved with fishing then, aside from the individual fish dying, they are all completely different. So with the loaves, notice that when, when, for instance, when God multiplies the loaves and the fishes, again, you can't call that killing. God is multiplying a fish that is already dead. So no argument there. You know, Jesus does nothing, nothing to hurt fishes there. Yeah, he's not going out and crashing their heads. (laughs) No, that's right. That's right. And then that leaves a morsel. So God eats, Jesus eats a piece of fish so that people will recognize that he is in fact alive and back. So that's again the goal of that. So the question would have to be does Jesus eating a morsel of fish after again already dead after resurrection in order to demonstrate that he is alive and embodied does that somehow really justify or make some reason or some excuse why today 2023, oceans being in a state of absolute peril, not to mention the health problems of eating fish because of the mercury that is in them from the from coal. So it's also a risk to our own health. Does that really justify choosing to go to the supermarket and buy a fish? And by the way, if you're buying any kind of fish that's, for example, labeled, labels as environmentally safe, right, it, as not as safe from eating anything that's endangered, studies show those are frequently incorrect. They just label it that way. And, and there is an excellent study that found as much as 70% of the fish when they opened the can and tested it, it was not what it said it was. So mm-hmm. also, that's not an excuse either. Well, I do think that when it came to the multiplication, when basically you've got a crowd out there that's listening to Jesus and it's kind of getting late and they're hungry. And, you know, if they had the opportunity to go to the supermarket, I mean, surely they would have gone to the supermarket. <laughs> right? There you go. That's right. That's a good point. Yep. <laughs> and I do love when you really look at the scripture, when he's, quote, helping the fishermen to fish. I mean, if you really look at it, the, the nets are cast and the fish, are, the, the nets are so heavy, they can't bring it up into the boat. It's that heavy. So it's not even a, a, a catch that ends up with, you know, killing all these fish. And then it's like, okay, now our, okay, 
leave fishing and become fishers of men. And that's what they did. The whole story was about that, leaving the fishing and becoming fishers of men. And I think that we can't forget about the huge scene that Jesus made at the temple when he's letting the the animals go. <laughs> yes, that's right. I mean, why did he do that? You know, what was it really just the money changers that he was mad about? Was it really just the merchants? I think it was the whole system for sure that was kind of a keep, keeping keeping the average person away from the actual experience of 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 God, which doesn't necessarily have to be in the temple. But he freed those animals for a reason. I mean, it, it wasn't just coincidence that he wanted to make them mad. It was like, they don't belong here. He shows genuine upsetness at yes. that, in that moment. And it's, you know, it's, it's unique in that way. And it's extremely important that that is about exploitation and, you know, killing, slaughter, bloodshed. So I think that's extremely important. And with regard to the fishes, I agree with you. It's, it is very important that, that we, that the fishes, scriptures do not say that the fishes were pulled in and killed, but instead they were turned away from fishing. I think that's extremely important. Nowhere in scripture does it say that Jesus ever killed a fish. Did not happen. Right. Right, and right, right. And the only time Jesus ate a fish is after death, and it's only a morsel. Yes, and at the Last Supper, we're really just told about bread and wine. We're not told that there is, you know, a, a lamb or anything like that there. And so, there, there's just a lot of of evidence, and it kind of makes sense that, you know, if Jesus is love incarnate, <laughs> if if Jesus was, you know. God in man and to such a perfect ex- perfect extent that he would be manifesting love, peace, mercy, faith, you know, all of those values, humility, service, a hundred percent. And and wouldn't really necessarily have a boundary here, you know, like, oh, but but you know, but women can be treated poorly. We know he didn't do that, you know. So he was he was kind of like boundaryless. And I, I think that, that was it's just a, enough evidence in how he treated people and releasing the animals that, that that's what he was emanating. It provides a beautiful example. But let me just say that let's say, let's say that Jesus was wildly eating everything in sight in scriptures, <laughs> and we could prove yeah. that. Let's just say that was true. Good point. Even yeah. so, it is no excuse because Amore, the, the, the book on vegan ethics, right? Animal suffering. M, medical, we're hurting our own health. O, oppression, we're oppressing other human beings with that choices. Religion, it's against scriptural teachings to cause harm when you don't need to. And the harm right now in the, any, in consumption of any animals is extreme. And environment, amore, environment. We are wrecking the planet that we are supposed to tend right now with our practices. So even if scriptures showed Jesus eating Every creature that was ever made, it is not an excuse. It would not be an excuse for us to do the same thing today. Yeah, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I mean, there are so many things. It's so funny that people go, well, historically, this is the way it was, but you don't pick up anything else from the history. You know, you're not dressing that way. You're not, your hair is not that way. You know, you don't yes, live in huts yes. the same way or houses the same way. But, but this That's one right. thing you're saying, they did that. You're right. I mean, even if they all ate 
bacon three times a day, which we know they didn't. But even if they did that, it has nothing to do with today. Yes, what right. would these people be doing, these God-centered people be doing today? And given the context that we're in, everything is about context. So, you know, our world's completely different. Another thing I would say is, what would Jesus say if Jesus walked into a slaughterhouse? Seriously, do you want to support that with your dollars? Do you really think that Jesus would be happy standing, watching the fish pulled in, seeing the state of the oceans, looking at what goes in a slaughterhouse, looking at how chickens are kept, looking at the battery ends, look at how the eggs are taken, look at how all the things that we do are so cruel. They're so unconscionably cruel. So if, if you really think that Jesus is on with that, I don't think you know Christian ethics. I don't think you're sincere in your faith. You either don't know what's going on with animals or you don't know Christian teachings or you know and you don't care. Those are the only options. Yeah. Or you know, or you just, you can't see, you don't want to look. I mean, then you don't know. <laughs> There's so many people who just don't want to look or if they look, it's kind of like, kind of like their head starts to come off or something. It's like being confronted with a reality that cannot, cannot be, or if that is true, I just have to cut cut that part of myself off and go over here and do this thing willfully that that isn't necessarily aligned with humility and peace and service and mercy and love and faith. Pur purposeful ignorance will not wash. God knows our hearts. If we are true to the teachings of Christianity, you can't just say, you know, I don't want to know. I don't want to. I don't want to know because I don't want to change. That is that is just absolutely. That completely lacks integrity. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, <laughs> we could say, you know, humans are flawed. And that's one of the flaws that living in alignment with these principles, living in alignment with, you know, the divine intention. Well, I think uh, here's the other thing people say well, you know, we are all sinners, but, <laughs> mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. by our beliefs, we'll be saved or something like that. So it's kind of yes. justifies our ability to continue to be irresponsible. And I just, again, I just, I just don't get that. I think that it's really about being on the road to Eden. I mean, like we, we don't live in Eden anymore, but shouldn't we be walking towards it? <laughs> Shouldn't be walking towards the original intention. I'll say more yeah. about that. That is absolutely our responsibility, according to scriptures, is to bring about on earth as it is in heaven, to bring about God's purposes and designs here on earth. That is absolutely what we are supposed to be doing. Yeah, I do. I do still do a meditation using the Lord's Prayer. And interestingly, I had a friend of mine send me an article that I think her son-in-law's brother or somebody wrote, and it was bringing the animals into the Lord's Prayer, which I thought, well, this is so cool. But mm. but what what he, and I, I think I'm going to do this at the retreat, the way I see it, but the way he saw it in his article was, well, animals are sinners too, and so... <laughs> So we need to, they need to be forgiven too for some of the bad things that they do. And I'm like, wait a minute, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What does that mean? I mean, this article completely forgot those two sentences where the will of the divine is the original intention, the original creative force that brought about this beautiful garden that we all lived in and that that 
in this prayer, we are we are saying, e- evoking that we want that to come to this earth, uh, restore the earth in that way. I mean, I really think that's what that that prayer speaks towards. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. but people looking at heaven as something that's after this versus that we need to bring heaven into earth. Um, so, thy will be done on earth, just as it is, you know, in, in the the divine, the divine state. We want to bring that to earth, and so yeah, that we should be doing this every day in some way. Yeah. Large yes. or small. And it's so it's so frustrating when people they know that and they really want to be good Christians. They don't use the excuse that I'm a sinner to steal from their neighbor or to, you know, kill Susie when she's playing in their yard and they really didn't want her there. Right. So it, it's very selective how this is used, which is the first clue that it's it, it's an excuse. I don't want to change. So I'm going to find some reason why it's OK for me to keep doing what I'm doing. I'm a sinner. So I can't change or I'm not going to change or I'm, this is one sin I'm going to keep right on doing because I'm really, you're going to keep right on sinning because you're a sinner. Is that, where is that in scripture somewhere? <laughs> keep doing, yeah. Where's the scripture says, keep doing what you're doing, no matter what. <laughs> That's right. That's right. You're a sinner. So for God's sake, sin. <laughs> <laughs> when you know it's wrong, keep it going. <laughs> keep it going. That's right. No need to change. <laughs> okay. We've got about you know, a little less. We've got about eight minutes or so. What What else do you want to cover in this time? What do you think people need to know? Did you want to talk a little about the snake? I love the snake story. I do want to talk about let If we have time for snake and, and the donkey, Balaam's donkey, if we have time for both of those, let's let's talk about that. But let's at least get the snake done. Yeah, okay, we'll start with the snake. These stories are beautiful because for a couple of reasons. Obviously, they're just beautiful stories. They're just beautiful stories, the way they're written and what they say. And that's why they were kept as sacred texts all these years. They are also extremely important because they tell us a little bit about our ability to read. Uh, as I say, it's like, what what are we given to eat? And you have to, how many times do you have to read it before you find it? Who was created on the last day? How many times do you have to read it before you get that we are land animals created among land animals? How many times do you have to read about the snake story before you see that our interpretation of that story is all wrong? That snake is smart. That snake, the word used, that snake is a a wonderful creation of God. Of course, really, do we have to be told that? So why have we interpreted this in a way so that it looks like the snake is evil. Why have we blamed the snake? Why have we made it look like somehow that animosity between our tendency to want to kill snakes is okay, or that we should be afraid of snakes? Now, I get fear of snakes. If you live around poisonous snakes, you get a sense of caution. Caution is fine. All over the world, people are cautious with poisonous snakes. But Really, you can be afraid of many things, and rightly so. Does it entitle you to kill them? So again, looking back at this story, looking at what it really says. So what this story tells us is that Adam and Eve lived in a garden, and their neighbor was a snake. And they go over to the snake, and they're talking with the snake, like they would any neighbor. right? So right there, what are we learning? What a beautiful story about what God intends. This is the Garden of Eden. This is how God wanted it. This is God's purpose and plan and intent that we that we be neighborly with the animals that share this planet with us. So they're being neighborly and talking to the snake. 
and they they ask the snake questions, and the snake actually knows the answer. So already we get early on, humans may not be the brightest of the species. The snake <laughs> knows more than the people do, all right? Humility. We have always put so much into our brains. Look where it's gotten us. Look at our planet. Look at our human relations. We need to forget thinking that we are the most amazing creature that was ever made and that our brains are more important than our hearts. We need to figure out where our hearts went and bring them back into play. So there's so much that we can learn from this story and about how it plays out. So, and the the buck passing that goes on, right? God shows up and the woman blames the man and the man blames the snake and the poor old snake ends up catching it for all that happened. And that's what we focus on is that everybody was punished. Well, if the snake was punished, the snake was punished with the others, but I don't think anymore. But in any case, again, all that shows is that if you have two kids and one's older and kind of in control and they get into bad news, you're going to blame the one who knew what was going on that had the intellect and the ability to see around this. But but again, all the snake does is speak the truth. The snake tells the human beings when they ask what the story is with the tree. The humans then choose to do to not do what God wanted once they hear that the it is the tree of knowledge and they would like to have that. That is all on them. The snake never says, now go over there and do what God said you shouldn't do and eat of that tree. That doesn't happen. So rethinking these stories and and, you know, Balaam is the same thing. If you, it, We don't tend to misinterpret that. We just ignore it. How many people know that story? And what it teaches is, again, about our relationship. What, what relationship are we supposed to have with animals? Well, we, we develop them over time. The donkey story shows that. And there's a trust, and that trust should not be broken. And one of the ways it's broken is when we are abusive. When we are angry and mistreat, that's a breaking of that trust. And in that story, the angel of God is is very upset with Balaam and actually would have, if it weren't for the donkey, Balaam would have lost, lost his life. But out of mercy for the donkey, who is, again, like the snake, a good character and just a neighborly being living among humans trying to figure out how to deal with someone who's mistreating, mistreating them. So looking at these stories, one of the main things I get is neighborliness. We are land animals, creatures among creatures, and we are to be compassionate and kind. The, the donkey story especially shows that. And the snake's story humbles us that we are certainly not the smartest creatures out there, that we have our limits and our and what we need to do maybe is refocus. If you put the two stories together, refocus on our understanding of our place among animals and our hearts and how that engages us with God's larger community. Yeah, I think it gets back to read the story. <laughs> go back go back and read it. <laughs> because we're actually it's kind of still like we're in this oral tradition where we heard from the pulpit something about that and so then we believe that and it's like wait a minute, none of that's even really true. I think it's so interesting that the snake didn't say was was not tempting anything. I've always personally kind of thought the original sin, if there was an original sin, was the projection of blame, the the not taking responsibility for my own it was integrity again. And and I think that I think that when the being expelled from the garden, we've been in that that place forever, not being responsible, and just saying, you know what, I did it. Not she made me do it or not he made me do it or it made me do it, whatever. 
but that 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 not being able to sit in the truth that I did this on my own with my own will, my own volition, I did it. I think we'd still be in the garden. (laughs) I like that a lot. Very, very beautiful. Thank you for that. (laughs) Great. Well, we're closing now. We're we're up at our hour. Thank you so much, Lisa. I love the conversations we have. And I think that it's really cool. Are you doing these books for every major world religion? That's the intent. Yes. And by the way, the website that goes with it is animalsandreligion.org. And I will put all of the information that's in the books up there for free. I've got to raise the money to do this. I've got Judaism up there, but and I've got Christianity ready, but it, it, I can't put it up until I get the funds raised. So it, all of this information will be public access when I get it when I get the chance to make that happen. Right now, you can go to my website, lisakemmer.com or .org, and there you can go to publications and you can find animals and Christianity. Great. And I'll have all those links as well as a link to your nonprofit on the show notes. Okay. Thank you very much. So wonderful to talk with you. I know. It's so great. Maybe we move the needle on this one a little bit more than we did at the parliament. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) We'll see. Thank you everyone for listening. And I hope you share this with your Christian friends and family. And I now close the spiritual forum, but join me next week with my next guest and have a fabulous, fabulous week. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, you can let me know by leaving a positive rating and review on your favorite podcast app or make a tax-deductible donation at thespiritualforum.org. The Spiritual Forum is a podcast, prayer, and retreat ministry affiliated with Unity Worldwide Ministries. Thank you again for being a part of the Spiritual Forum community. And remember, you are an amazing, divine, and powerful being.